Friends and welcome back to the Complete Tech Heads podcast with me, Tom Edwards. This week, I am super excited to be joined by Alex Zavaronkov, uh, who is founder and CEO at Insilico Medicine and an expert in artificial intelligence for drug discovery and aging research. Since 2014, he's published and co-published over 170 peer-reviewed publications and raised over $400 million in capital. He also has six clinical trials for drugs discovered using AI. So very, very excited to talk to Alex. It's a guest that I've been hoping to have on for some time. Um, he's joining me from Hong Kong. Um, and we're going to talk about aging, longevity, and how AI can really uh, disrupt this um, paradigm that we've been living in since the dawn of man and, and uh, all of the advances that we're now currently witnessing. So first of all, Alex, thank you so much for joining me. How are you doing? Happy to be with you, Tom, today. I'm uh, doing very well. Just came back from WEF uh, World Economic Forum in Davos, uh, which was amazing. Brilliant. Um, cool. Well, I hope you had a, uh, a good time over there. Um, and I understand they were talking longevity at the event as well. Is that right? Yes, I uh, um, uh, had, had a pleasure to present uh, at the uh, Turning Back the Clock session. So for anybody listening, please uh, Google it. And uh, uh, it was a pretty, uh, uh, pretty useful panel. Awesome. Okay, so look, um, I want to talk to you about the technology that you're working on. Um, but first of all, if we could just frame the conversation with just a very general question of what exactly is aging? What do we mean when we talk about aging itself? Sure. So first of all, uh, aging is a very complex uh, multifactorial process uh, comprised of the many biological processes uh, transpiring at the same time. So it's very difficult to pinpoint which one is more important at any given point in time, and it's very difficult to address. Some of those um, processes were uh, referred to as hallmarks of aging. So the pillars uh, that are kind of driving the aging process. Uh, and uh, if you're interested in this topic, just uh, Google hallmarks of aging, but I'll give you a gist. Um, some of the more established ones are genomic instability, so we, uh, our DNA mutates uh, over time and there are multiple alterations uh, that transpire during your lifetime, multiple uh, uh, forms of DNA damage, DNA repair. Uh, telomere attrition, so the ends of our chromosomes uh, get shorter and shorter every time the, uh, the cell divides. Uh, epigenetic alterations, uh, the uh, small plugs on your DNA uh, that modulate regulate expression of your genes, uh, shift over time, uh, and we lo lose the uh, um, epigenetic memory uh, over time. That's why uh, the cellular reprogramming, uh, where you remethylate uh, some of those sites, uh, is a promising technique nowadays, and a lot of people are talking about it. There is loss of proteostasis, uh, so your protein uh, pro uh, balance gets uh, dysregulated. Uh, there is uh, 
disabled macrophagy, so um, microautophagy, uh, where uh, you lose uh, the ability to um, uh, to recycle stuff in your cells, dysregulated nutrient sensing, so uh, your cells uh, lose the ability uh, to properly react to the uh, nutrients around them. There is mitochondrial dysfunction, the tiny energy factories in your uh, cells get dysregulated. Of course, there is a uh, process of cellular senescence in general. Uh, that's a very big subject uh, in, uh, um, uh, in aging research. Uh, so your cells uh, get damaged over time. And uh, uh, those cells that did not become cancer and did not die, they just sit there do nothing and uh, excrete toxins into the environment. Those are kind of the cellular retirees, so to speak, not to offend anybody. Um, <laughs> there is stem cell exhaustion. Uh, so you lose stem cells over time. Uh, you only have the finite number uh, of those stem cells uh, in your body over time, even though many of them uh, uh, divide and regenerate. Uh, however, you lose that uh, capacity over time. Uh, there is altered intracellular communication. Uh, so cells um, uh, communicate with each other uh, and this ability is, uh, uh, is dysregulated over time. So as cells uh, accumulate damage and since there is uh, this loss of communication, uh, very often, uh, uh, cells do not talk to each other. There are, there are difficulties uh, in proliferation, uh, in repair, uh, in different cellular and systemic functions. There is chronic inflammation. Uh, so we uh, constantly, uh, our, our immune system is attacking our tissues, uh, even though very often you don't need to have those processes uh, and uh, uh, some of those processes uh, actually result in very substantial, um, uh, very substantial diseases, uh, including uh, autoimmune diseases. There is dysbiosis, uh, so the uh, um, change in balance uh, of uh, your microorganisms, because you know you're not only made of uh, human cells, uh, you also carry a vast number of bacteria mm -hmm. uh, and changes in those bacteria affect the way you age, the way you smell, uh, and uh, many other uh, functions. So again, when all those processes are combined uh, and intertwined um, and dysregulated, uh, we age. Uh, so whenever we are trying to address aging, uh, we usually do the hallmarks of aging assessment for a therapy and see which hallmarks uh, the therapy may affect. Uh, okay. And when we do it at Ancilico, we usually try to look for um, the therapies that work in both aging and disease at the same time. We do the hallmarks assessment, and that allows us to go after multiple indications and multiple therapies at the same time. I hope it wasn't too long. No, no. I mean, it's just, it, it's so interesting that there is so many different interlocking things all happening at the same time. Aging, really, we are fighting like a rising tide, right? Like there are so many different things all working against longevity all at the same time, it sounds like. 
Exactly. And that's why I encourage uh, every one of your listeners who is in tech to consider getting into this uh, area as fast as possible, uh, because whatever you are, um, whatever you think is important, this is more important <laughs> because uh, you are, nature is unfair and whatever you accumulate uh, over during your lifetime, you are going to lose. And yeah. the end is never pretty. If you are interested in extending your own healthy lifespan, then I can't recommend this week's partners enough. DoNotAge.org is a company dedicated to helping people like you and me extend their health span through supplementation. On the website, you can check out all of the different supplements that they sell, accompanied by a whole section on the science behind them. You can read the links on where they've got their research from, check out the team that's working on it, and of course, pick up those all-important supplements for yourself. So go to the site and use the code CTH for a 10% discount. You can also find the link in the description for this show. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, anybody who's had an ill um, aging relative will know that the, the, the sharp end of the, the aging uh, process is, is, is not fun. Um, so look, that's a really amazing introduction and I feel like I could dig into every single one of those. I've had long conversations about senescent cells, for example, on previous episodes um, with because there's quite a thriving community of longevity enthusiasts now, um, some of whom I've, I've spoken to on this show. Um, but uh, I want to make sure that we keep uh, timings tight and I want to talk about the technology itself here. So... Um, I understand that we refer to um, we refer to the industry now as AIDD, um, AI drug discovery. Um, so, what exactly is AI doing to help us here? What what's the real breakthrough? Is it anything to do with like the similar breakthroughs we've seen in large language models and this kind of level of intelligence, or is it a completely different field? So, of course, large language models do help but uh, that's usually a piece of the puzzle. Uh, and in order to understand where AI can help drug discovery and development, you really need to understand how drugs are discovered and developed. And uh, I can tell you that after 12 years in the field uh, and after completing you know, hundreds of thousands of projects for the pharmaceutical companies and uh, also getting into clinical trials from scratch myself, I am still learning. So you always feel like a novice uh, in this mm. industry. You always learn something new. Uh, but the general framework, uh, if you look at therapeutic drug discovery and development kind of from the uh, uh, eagle's eye view, uh, it consists of several steps. One is uh, disease modeling and target discovery. So you really need to understand why the disease happens uh, and what is driving it and then try to narrow it down uh, to a specific uh, set of proteins or other forms of uh, uh, targets that we can go after with interventions that are driving this disease uh, or are associated with disease. But, uh, the, um, but if you intervene and if you target those uh, proteins, you would be able to modulate the disease in the, in, in the uh, direction you want it to go. Uh, so to do that, uh, there is, you know, more than a thousand probably ways to identify targets. 
uh, we've incorporated around 60 target discovery philosophies and methods into a system called Fundaomics that uh, a lot of people use. We also teach a course on disease modeling and target discovery uh, available for free at Ancilico.com if you want to get into this field from scratch okay. and uh, learn how it's done. Um, but uh, in, 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 in brief, there are multiple ways to um, uh, understand uh, uh, why disease happens and uh, identify those targets. So one easy way is to actually read the literature uh, because usually target discovery and disease modeling uh, transpires in academia and academics mm -hmm. around the world and uh, also within the clinical centers uh, try to hypothesize why diseases happen, uh, observe uh, a lot of patients, uh, uh, construct experimental models, uh, do cell-based cell research, uh, and publish research papers. And uh, many of, uh, and for some diseases, uh, especially in cancer, uh, you would see uh, hundreds, if not thousands of papers published every day. So you would be you would not be able to read through those uh, papers as a human being. Uh, it's just you are not capable of processing so much information. And considering the fact that this has been going for a long time, and now many of the um, studies have conflicting evidence, uh, AI may help quite a bit. And that's actually where the large language models, just because it's yeah. language, are the most helpful. Uh, especially multimodal uh, large language models that are trained on text and uh, imaging at the same time. So here you will, would be able to um, uh, identify targets just by talking to the system uh, and reconstruct pathways, networks, etc. There is another way uh, of doing this, and that's uh, uh, that's processing biological information coming from patients, from cells, um, and other sources from animals. Uh, and trying to utilize the data types like your genome, your epigenome, uh, methylation, transcriptomics, uh, protein expression, uh, imaging of those cells, all that going into machine learning systems uh, that try to figure out what is driving the disease, understanding the difference between normal tissue and normal cells and tissues and cells afflicted with disease. Uh, and looking at uh, how those processes transpire in time. And that's actually where aging research comes in in a big way, because okay. you can now train uh, different uh, uh, machine learning systems to predict age, because age is one of the features that is present in every living organism. It's basically uh, like putting time in the context of biology and biology in the context of time. Um, and if you train deep neural networks and generative uh, uh, systems um, uh, that can also allow you to generate uh, synthetic biological data uh, with age as a generation condition, allows you to train deep neural networks to understand basic biology. So uh, because all of us change in time from birth to death, uh, a lot of biological processes happen and sometimes we die, not necessarily due to disease. Uh, we call it natural causes. You can die of aging. Uh, that is why it's very, very important to train uh, deep neural networks to first understand the uh, processes of basic aging. 
and mm-hmm. hopefully also look at those processes through the prism of uh, hallmarks of aging and understand it at the tissue level, at the cellular level, at the systems level. Even psychology can be understood uh, through the prism uh, using deep neural networks. We published several papers where we trained uh, deep neural networks um, to predict psychological age and subjective age using surveys. Uh, and now you can combine many of those data types uh, in uh, large complex models so that uh, the system understands uh, the relationships between those changes at many, many different levels. Um, and uh, at the end of the day, you try to zoom into a protein target that is driving a disease, uh, preferably that is implicated in aging and disease at the same time. That's kind of my philosophy. I call those targets dual purpose targets. Okay. And then AI can, uh, and then you get to the next level. So how do you target it? How do you uh, influence those proteins, right? And that's uh, that can be achieved by either uh, developing small molecule chemistry. So think of, uh, for those of you who are not familiar with what I'm talking about, with what I'm talking about, uh, think about aspirin or uh, paracetamol, uh, those uh, simple drugs that you can buy in a drugstore. Uh, those are small molecule drugs. Uh, and uh, that is actually pretty difficult uh, therapeutic area, uh, therapeutic class, um, because uh, chemistry is still poorly understood. It's, and it's much more difficult to work with chemistry in the context of uh, AI than working with biologics. And that's another way to address the problem. You can design antibodies or nanobodies or peptides uh, or all kinds of uh, antibody drug conjugates uh, to also hook up to this uh, protein target uh, to bind to this protein target of interest and disable it or modulate it in a specific way. Uh, So those are kind of two broad directions uh, where most um, uh, therapies go. And our company is focusing on small molecules. So internally, we design um, uh, those small, small, small molecular structures that uh, disable those targets. Uh, mostly those are inhibitors. Uh, and um, we also provide software for the design of biologics that uh, uh, many industry players use. Uh, and that's uh, in small molecule chemistry, uh, generative systems uh, demonstrated very substantial potential uh, over the past uh, seven years. So my first paper in generative chemistry was in uh, 2016, where we used uh, generative adversarial networks to design small molecules with the desired properties. Uh, And uh, uh, yeah, so (laughs) we were pretty early in the game. Sorry, just just to very, very quickly jump in there. I hadn't even considered the idea of generative chemistry which is crazy to me because I feel like I should have, but just the idea that you're, you're presumably creating entirely novel compounds that had never been registered by humanity in the past. Exactly. So crazy. Previously... I mean, that's, that's like amazing, <laughs> right? Like, uh, do you ever just stop and think when you're at work on a day-to-day basis, like, wow, what a, this is, like we are the future does that or are you just so in the moment that it's just we're just getting on with with what we're doing today do you have those moments 
Oh, I get these moments every day. As a matter really? of fact, uh, those are pretty dangerous moments because, uh, you know, as a CEO of a company, uh, you not only come up with ideas, you also need to learn how to kill those ideas very quickly, right? Because too many ideas uh, and too many aha moments uh, may steer the company in the wrong direction. Um, so I sometimes get, you know, more than 10 ideas every day and yeah. I just try to uh, write some of them down, but most of them I try to kill. That one, uh, when we thought about, okay, well, instead of trying to look for a needle in a haystack and try to identify uh, the molecules from the known chemical space uh, that bind to a specific, to, to your target of interest, to a specific pocket or get into a specific pocket of your target of interest and have uh, very specific properties, uh, we can generate molecules from scratch, generate those perfect needles uh, and then choose from a distribution of those perfect needles. Uh, so when that idea came up, uh, and by the way, it came up from the work of uh, Ian Goodfellow, uh, who published uh, with Yosha Benjo the first uh, uh, concept of generative adversarial networks in 2014, uh, when he was uh, still uh, at the University of Montreal, and then moved to Google and to OpenAI and then back to Google. Mm. Um, and uh, we were very inspired by that idea of that you can generate uh, images with desired properties instead of uh, you know trying to search for those images or try to draw them by hand. Uh, and um, we thought, well, maybe we can uh, uh, teach AI systems to think like a medicinal chemist or better and uh, uh, start generating molecules with the desired properties because nature is not great at designing good drugs. Uh, you might think it is it designed all the chemistry in the world, but it did not, right? As a matter of fact, after search, uh, searching and trial and error of many, many nature-made compounds, you will find just a few that work extremely well. Um, and usually uh, they work for unintended purposes that could that, that those could be like defense mechanisms of some bacteria uh, or that could, that those could come from fungi or some other um, uh, other sources but they were not intended to treat human diseases uh, that's why uh, when we are utilizing the generative chemistry techniques the um, chemical space that you are working uh, with is much broader and you can optimize for desired properties like uh, oral availability. So you can take the drug uh, as a pill instead of injecting. That's actually one of the benefits of utilizing small molecules versus biologics, because biologics you always inject almost always with very rare exceptions when you can take oral peptides uh, or something like that. Uh, and um, uh, brain penetration, uh, metabolic stability, bioavailability, and many, many, many other properties. So our first system when we launched uh, um, Chemistry 42 in 2020 uh, was able to optimize for 32 properties. And we usually do not just utilize one generative system, we utilize the entire zoo. And then you, even though the systems are pre-trained, uh, you also need some reinforcement learning to ensure that they learn um, 
the properties of the molecule that you want to create and uh, also the uh, structure of the specific target that you want to disable. Um, but again, that's another like second step of drug discovery. So you discover your target, you generate your chemistry. Now what? So now you need to identify which patients to go after, right? And there uh, we can use uh, multiple forms of AI. And here again, large language models uh, are very helpful. We can now search through uh, very large numbers of clinical records to understand what patients are going to respond uh, to the therapy, uh, who is going to benefit the most, and also uh, what, uh, how to design a clinical study. So uh, what clinical study design is more likely to result in a success. Uh, and by the way, we forgot to mention that drug discovery is the uh, area where you fail much more often than you succeed. So right. even if you start the clinical trials with already known target uh, known molecule and uh, get into humans, uh, the probability of success uh, is less than 10%, wow. which okay. is pretty dramatic considering that those clinical studies may cost you hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, and the later you progress, the, uh, the higher the stakes. Yeah. Uh, and in preclinical world, you fail 99%. If you are talking about novel target, novel molecule going all the way into humans, it's a very rare event to go from scratch. And usually it takes uh, decades to, to get there. So, is, so far... AI, yeah. sorry, just to jump in, but is, is um, technology improving that rate over time, as well as the number of different you know compounds that we can... Um, generate and, and and targets is it improving the success rate over time through seeing things like simulation as well very good question so currently uh it feels like it does um uh, our company managed to nominate 17 preclinical candidates so that's one step before going human clinical mm -hmm. and we've started six clinical trials for five programs which is pretty dramatic. I never expected to uh, be in that position, right? And be able to do it so quickly because we started our own drug discovery only around 2019. Before wow. that, we were developing algorithms and providing software to the market. But then we thought, well, wow. uh, so yeah. <laughs> three, four years. Uh, yeah. Since 2019. So four years. Four so years that's very fast. Yeah. That's very for that sure. Very I mean, I'm, you're you're an expert in the field. I'm not, but that to me feels like light speed for you know medical science. No. Yeah, compare comparing to uh, a traditional pharma company or a biotech, that's very fast and that's yeah. uh, a lot. Uh, never expected to be there, but we also have two CEOs in the company. So I am in charge of AI, and Dr. Ran Fong. You know, PhD from Harvard, 11 years at GSK, and then he ran a contract research organization that uh, does those kind of services, drug discovery services for for for, uh, for living. Uh, he joined me in 2021, and he managed to accelerate dramatically. So uh, okay. he uses our uh, AI to accelerate drug discovery and development. But here I must mention that it's not only uh, AI. But you have to, you must need to have infrastructure in place and also a range of uh, contract research organization that performs certain uh, tasks for you 
in order to be successful. And uh, we also rely very, very heavily on ro robotics. Okay. But again, I wanted to kind of mention that uh, currently the jury is still out because the efficacy, so where you test whether the drug works on a certain disease in humans, is usually tested in phase two human clinical trials. So where we um, test safety and efficacy. And so far, I have not heard of any AI drug discovery company that went from scratch, you know, novel target, novel molecule, all the way to phase two complete. So there has not been just enough time. Usually it takes, uh, uh, you know, six, seven years to get there. Our company started the, the, the journey four years ago. Now we're in phase two. Uh, and that phase two it still needs to produce results. Okay. Well, very best of luck with that. Um, so look, I'm... Fingers uh, crossed. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Fingers crossed for like the whole of humanity as well, right? Not just you, but for, for all of us. If if this, you know, I mean, the promise of this technology for me from the people I speak to just seems insanely massive. Like, you know, the, for, you, the more you speak to people who understand this stuff, the more hopeful and optimistic and excited you become, in my opinion. And certainly this conversation with you has has uh, reinforced that. So um, I am aware of your time. Um, I'm aware you're an extremely busy man and you have um, many important things to be doing. So I will just um, start to wrap up the conversation um, by saying, like, what if there were one thing, one sort of area of your research or, or anybody else's research in this field at the moment that you're most excited about, that you think holds the most potential for kind of transformative technology, um, what would that be? What are you most excited about in the world right now? Sure. Well, I'm mostly excited about multimodal transformers uh, for aging research and drug discovery. Okay. So multimodality, I think, is the name of the game for this year and maybe the next few years. Um, and I'm not talking about multimodal, multimodal. Uh, it's one single model that uh, can take in multiple data types. For example, text, uh, gene expression, protein expression, methylation, um, uh, histone modifications, imaging data. Uh, from humans and uh, in humans from different organs uh, and also in animals from different organs uh, and uh, take the drug information uh, and the information about uh, the different uh, response types uh, from different cells and tissues when they are exposed to different drugs uh, and also clinical information. Um, in order to a uh, predict age, generate synthetic data with age as a generation condition, identify protein targets, uh, identify pathways, uh, predict those uh, reconstruct multiple pathways, uh, generate small molecules, and preferably also do experimental planning and uh, uh, work as a biomarker for uh, age and disease at the same time. So we are working on something like that for a while now. We can see some very early birds that we've published um, early last year called Precious 1 GPT. Now we're already at Precious 3 and Precious 4 GPT where we're um, 
we haven't published that, but you can sense the general direction. Precious is, you know, coming from Lord of the Rings, uh, one clock to bind them. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, and combine okay, them. Yeah, yeah okay, that's the excellent. idea. Very good. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to also integrate it uh, with our fully robotics lab. We have a lab, uh, six interconnected rooms um, uh, run by ro robots where you can just throw the sample and the sample will get, get analyzed. You generate a lot of different omics data types and imaging. And then you expose that sample to a variety of different chemicals and see how it responds and see whether the system did well or poorly and uh, reward or punish the system based on uh, uh, what it generated in terms of hypothesis and which compound it picked. Uh, and you constantly train, but also you discover novel targets. Uh, so currently it utilizes multiple different forms of AI. We want it to be run by one single multimodal system. And I think that's what I'm mostly excited about right now. Okay, amazing. Um, well, look, the, the room full of robots, uh, the multimodality, the dual purpose sites, uh, it all sounds insanely exciting. Um, and I feel like I could sit here and talk to you all day uh, because any one of the different things, I think I could probably do an hour um, podcast on alas uh we need to wrap up but um it's been amazing so listen thank you so much for coming on it's been wonderful to meet you and i look forward to hearing about all of your exciting progress in the future thank you tom and just um, as a kind of for concluding remarks uh since uh, some of your listeners were already exposed to the concept of cellular senescence I just wanted to mention that uh, the uh, probably the number one person in cellular senescence who characterized the senescence-associated secretory phenotype, identified uh, a range of senolytics and senomorphics, uh, did fundamental work in uh, cellular senescence, has passed away. Uh, her name is Judy Judith Campisi, Professor Judy Campisi uh, at the Buck Institute. So. Um, uh, rest in peace, uh, and please make sure that you Google her research, uh, look at her um, papers, and uh, uh, pay your respects because that's the person who char characterized the entire field. Okay, Judith Campisi. Um, amazing. I uh, very much will do so. And as a final note, any uh, awesome. AI developers who are looking up Judith or looking up yourself or wanting to work in this field um, can, I'm sure, find you simply by Googling your name or in Silico Medicine. Perfect. Yes, Google Scholar is uh, open, so you can look up our recent uh, papers and uh, consider um, getting into the game because that's the most important game to play. 100%. Uh, brilliant. Well, look, thanks so much for joining me. It's been great. Thank you. Thank you, Tom.